Give yeah, me love. yeah, yeah. Give me love, baby. George Harrison. Ladies and gentlemen, a generous spirit. Yes, I just said a generous spirit is bolstered when we are generous to ourselves. For many of us during the pandemic, our mental health suffered. And it is so important for each of us to do a checkup from the neck up and then put in place some habits for exercise, nutrition, sleep, hydration. Yeah, easier said than done, right? And beyond that, it's important to be humble in these times and and know when we need help, professional help for services such as therapy, counseling, and body work. Hey, I'm Rob Freed, and welcome to Band Central Radio. We're here, and we broadcast from 12 to 1, the fourth Monday of every month, right here on WPKN, and on your audio device of choice, anytime you want to listen, on WPKN Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. This is a show where we reach into the nonprofit community. And we get executive directors to come on and talk about their their charities and their mission. And we get local musicians to come on and talk about their music and the local scene. And we have got a great show over the next 55 minutes. We've got saxophonist extraordinaire Tommy Weeks here in the studio. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Rob. How you doing? Good, man. So psyched to talk to you for an interview. And uh, you and I are going to perform a little song together. That sounds great. And uh, we also have Mark Jaffe, who's the president and CEO of Children's Learning Centers of Fairfield County, as well as Carla Miklos, the executive director of Operation Hope. So it's going to be really fun. We also have WKPKN's very own general manager, Steve DiCostanza, here in the studio. Hey, Steve. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? Good, man. So, fellas, you know, continuing on the the theme of mental health for this show, you know, one of the many things Band Central and WPKN share in common is the belief in using music in an intentional way to create the moods that you want. So, you know, that you want to achieve in your life. And for example, in our, you know, in Band Central's music and healing workshops that we do for cancer survivors at Jeff Keith's Mission Training Center, we assist participants in creating playlists for the moods that make them feel good and aid in in healing and, and really designing the life that they want. So we're going to do a little workshop here for a couple minutes. We're going to invite you, our listeners, to think about assembling your own playlists organized by moods that you want to create rather than by musical genre or, you know, style of music. So here are four basic moods. Happy, which is kind of hopeful, invigorating, joyful, healthy. Number two, which is restorative, healing, allowing things to happen. Peaceful. Number three, which is relaxation and balance. And loving. Number four, which is kindness, love, sensitivity. So right now, I am going to give you two songs in a couple of my playlists. And then I'm going to ask each of our guests for songs that they would use to create to soundscape their moods 
So for me, I'm going to take happy, fellas, and I'm going to say one tune that really makes me happy is uh, Freedom by George Michael. Right? Almost every time I hear it, right? Great pick. Very upbeat. And then there's another one. You know, we started doing this uh, 80s and 90s show, and I got myself more familiar with music of the 90s. And I really get happy every time I hear this song by the New Radicals called You Get What You Mm -hmm. Give. That's a great one as well. Yeah. And also love the the meaning of the song. So that's my, those are two from my happy playlist. Now, from my healthy playlist, I'm going to start with uh, James Brown, I Feel Good. Classic. 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 Instant. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't include a James Taylor song. Um, I do find that that makes me feel happy. Uh, I'm going to pick the song Up From Your Life by James Taylor. Steve, let me turn to you. Let me turn to you. Deep cut. (laughs) Yeah, deeper cut. Deeper cut. I got to find that one. Up from your life, James Taylor. Check it out. Okay, now, Steve, I want I want two songs for the mood of peaceful. Peaceful from Steve DiCostanza, okay, well, general let's, manager. Let's see. I there. I really love the music of Brian Eno. It's ambient music, so it's already kind of by definition somewhat peaceful. But and he does a lot of a lot of great stuff. But I really like music for airports. That would be one. Uh, different uh, different themes uh, of that, and then also, um, it's a an art an artist from from France who was uh, his name's Eric Satie. Many of you may would probably know the the music. You may not remember the name. It's called Gymno Pidi Number One, and it was romantic. It was from the romantic era of the late eighteen hundreds. Very soothing. So. That's something that always puts me in a peaceful mood, I guess. Beautiful, Steve. Thank you. Hey, Tommy, how about two songs uh, on your loving playlist? Oh, I, I got to. This one was hard because I, can, I have so many that I like that I would uh, pick from. But I, I settled with uh, The Way You Look Tonight by Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Oh, which, yeah. Which you really can't mm-hmm. go wrong with on that one. And um, Isn't She Lovely, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, Got it. Great song. That's those are just two, and most people. I I figured I'd pick some that most people would would know and relate to. So, um, that's those are my two selections. Great. Well, thank you. We encourage uh, you, our listeners, to do the exercise. You know, make organized playlists for yourself based on these these moods that you want to soundscape. Um, you can email me at refried at optonline.net, or you can go to experiencebandcentral.com if you want the full Band Central playlists. Moving on, Steve, we've got some exciting things happening here at WPKN. And uh, I would like to hear, you know, in the spirit of uh, our theme of mental health, What's your your vision of how WPKN can support listeners and our own DJs in the area of mental health? Yeah, that's a pretty broad broad area. Uh, one thing I you know I think about during COVID, the fact that you know we were on the air for twenty four hours a day. We we really we we tried we tried tried to maintain that you know the twenty four hour. 24-hour schedule, and I, and I think for a lot of people, you know, we were, uh, just the fact that we were there for them, I mean, 
we heard a lot of feedback from our listeners that they were so thankful to have WPKN there for them because, you know, people were going through a lot of stuff. And we, we did our very best, uh, and thanks to, um, you know, like Rod Richardson, who worked with a lot of our DJs who were doing things remotely. And he was able to get that music and get those shows on air so that really all of our, almost all of our DJs could be heard. For those of you who don't know, Rod does a lot of the behind-the-scenes production here at PKN. He's kind of the glue, keeps everything together. Yeah. And so on, that, that's just one, you know, kind of one concept of uh, dealing with with mental health. But I, I think, uh, you know, also I, I want to remind folks about one of our wonderful, wonderful programmers who's, um, you know, kind of struggling now, uh, kind of end end of end of end of life. With her name is Mickey, and and Mickey, to show you what one person can do to help uh, with mental health. She would do a show for many, many years on Saturday night, uh, and she would always preface it by saying that she's doing the show and she's trying to reach out to people who are behind prison walls, behind hospital walls, and behind the walls of their own making, something to that effect. And she really reached out to, to the underserved populations that you know needed needed some somebody, some sort of lifeline, and... and uh, you know, she uh, she's someone who's very special here at WPKN. Well, we we certainly wish her all the best, and uh, and thank you for that update, Steve. Let's uh, let Band Central, our charity music organization that also hosts this radio program, believes that when people experience live music, especially when it's performed to benefit good causes. Their lives become more enjoyable to themselves, and they become more useful to others. And the main way we show this is we prevent theme present. We don't prevent. We present themed concerts that allow audiences to help local nonprofits. Well, you know, coming out of the COVID quarantine period, we entered the, su- entered the summer of 2021, and we were ready to perform a couple of shows. Rock into summer. Miami Beach Party, flashback to the 1980s and 90s, nautical rock and rock and soul with our our troop of musicians. And we are happy to report to you that since the beginning of June, we've produced six shows and helped raise over 300,000 for nonprofits. Uh, And these are nonprofits like, yeah, thanks, guys. Center for Family Justice, the Connecticut Institute for Refugees and Immigrants, Wolfgang and Company, Sterling House Community Center, Maritime Aquarium of Norwalk and New Canaan Mounted Troop. So our 2021 summer tour has featured some amazing musicians, Stephanie Harrison, Gabrielle Lakshmi, Sheila Fabrizio, Fuzz, Butch Taylor, Tiger McNeil, Cyrus Madden, Jeff Batter, Mike Marble, Rick Reyes, Tommy Weeks, who's here with us in the studio, Tony Cintron, Anthony David, Gene Santini, and it continues. Next up, this Saturday, we will be at the Connecticut Challenge which is the bike ride sponsored by Mission Connecticut Challenge. Uh, We will be performing at 11 a.m. at the Greenfield Hill Congregational Church. Then on 
October 12th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Scandinavian Club in Fairfield, we will be performing our Summer of Hope party, which is a rock and soul evening for Operation Hope. So if you want to learn more about the Connecticut Challenge event, go to bike.ctchallenge.org. And if you want to learn more about the Operation Hope event, go to operationhopect.org. And you could, of course, visit experiencebandcentral.com to sign up to our newsletter update, our tour dates, and follow us at Facebook. Um, so that's that. And it is now with with really great pleasure that I uh, introduce you or reintroduce you to Tommy Weeks. Thanks, yeah. Rob. Hey, hey, what's up? Happy so to Tom, be here. Yeah, man. Tommy Weeks is anything but Weeks. He's he's a saxophonist from Connecticut. <laughs> and his projects, check this out. His projects are the Syracuse, Syracuse New York-based hip-hop funk outfit called Sophistafunk as well as the Northeast's premier brass band called the Funky Dogs. He was a graduate from the University of Connecticut in 2013, and he has a bachelor's in, in music and art. And he's traveled the globe, sharing the stage with countless artists, such as Dispatch, Trombone Shorty, Shorty Wolfpank, and uh, Lettuce. <clears throat> Tommy is, he's also an ambassador for music education locally. One of the things we love about him, and he and the Funky Dogs have created an after-school brass program for underprivileged children in Hartford. And, you know, in that same spirit, Tommy has done a lot of shows for Band Central to help us raise money for, for those in Connecticut that need a helping hand. So, uh, Tommy, welcome. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. So let's let's go back a little bit. Why did you choose sax? Why not vocals? Why not electric guitar? Why not trumpet? I just, um, I actually, in fifth grade, I actually started on the clarinet. So I started clarinet in fifth grade just because when my fifth grade music teacher played all the instruments for the class, I originally wanted saxophone, but she said, no, you're too small. Your hands are too small. You should start with clarinet. And... Um, I actually am kind of thankful for that because in hindsight, hindsight, it's easier to go from clarinet to saxophone than it is from saxophone to clarinet. Uh, would, you, would you say even today, there's, is there something about your clarinet mindset that affects how you play sax in, in, in your tone or, or, or did you just leave it behind? I, I kind of like, – I wouldn't say I have a clarinet mindset. I, I, play, I still play it. Um, actually, um, I've played it re – begun recently playing it on stage again. Um, and I've always, I teach lessons and I've always just kind of like had it as a secondary instrument. Once I added the saxophone, I was like, this, sa this sound is way cooler uh, to me than the clarinet. Plus all like the pop and rock songs that I, you know, uh, like had, that had like wailing sax solos. I was like, that's what I want to do. There's none that have like wailing clarinet solos. You have to go back to like the early 1900s for that. Um, like Benny Goodman and, and stuff like that. So, um. I, growing up, I listened to a lot of like classic rock and stuff. So, so go take us through a little bit of when you were growing up. What what musical influences really hit you hard as you were starting out? What what are those that 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 really were the most poignant? Well, I loved. Um, I actually, when I was like in middle school, I loved listening to the saxophone solos on like the Billy Joel songs, um, which were played by Richie Cannata. Um, and so I would try and learn them just by listening 
and and like I I recently found like my old like notes that I would write down like the notes were like backwards and like it was like me in like seventh or eighth grade trying to like put this together and they were completely wrong but it was my attempt and then I like I also grew up listening my favorite band is Pink Floyd and there's some great saxophone solos on like us and them um, money shine on your crazy diamond um, have like fantastic saxophone solos so I listen to those um, and try and learn those and those were those were really where I like I was never like big into jazz like listening to jazz saxophone until i got to like high school playing a jazz band and and then like in college um studying music i was made aware of you know more educated on on jazz and jazz saxophonists um in high school i liked like dave matthews band and and then at that point their their saxophonist who also played with bela fleck and the fleck tones jeff coffin and he's to me one of the best living saxophonists so i would have to if i were to pick I'm going to guess your next question. <laughs> who would you, who would like, who specifically were my influences? I'd say Jeff Coffin, um, for sure. And I got to go to a master class of his recently too. And that was, um, fantastic to get to meet him. Yeah. You know, being, you, you raise an interesting question and being a fellow musician, uh, when I interview musicians, I like to do a little inside the music. Take us a little, is there, what specifically about Jeff do you find, about his approach or his sound or his playing uh, is extraordinary for you. He, I, just listening to him, like when he solos, it sounds like he can literally replicate any sound of any instrument. Like I've watched videos of him bat, like um, trading or battling, whatever you want to call it, dueling with other instruments on stage. And he will always just like, he's he's a little bit more on the aggressive side. And I like that like, that um that edginess that, that he plays with and he also like he'll like like a like even if a drum like the drummer will play like a, you know a figure then he'll like r replicate it rhythmically and like also like add some like slap tonguing effects and stuff like that are not traditional sounds on saxophone hmm. and but it like kind of i just love the way that he like he doesn't play the saxophone like a saxophone he plays it like like he could play like any instrument and kind of like bring those other characteristics out and which I love about it. He's kind of thinking outside the box that way. Yeah. Though, though I would say from having performed with you, you know, a dozen or so times that, um, your sound for me though, has a lot of old school vintage warmth to it, reedy warm, you know, and, and so thank you. Not well, you know, also not to be taking away that you're, a futurist or, or yeah. something that's just fusion-y, I think you also have a foot in in something the, uh, something old school about the sax. Would you wouldn't you would you agree with that? I, I definitely agree. Um I I do love that that old uh like mellow, like sultry sound as well. You can't be all all in one in one zone, I feel like I want to be able to play like any style of music. But um, also, it just helps that the you know the saxophone that, that I have right now it was made in 1970, so I feel like that just holds a lot of that character, uh, the, like the character of the sounds that were that were uh, back then from that particular. Yeah, it, your has, particular a, it has a personality, yeah, yeah and um, I think that comes out too with it. But um, yeah, that I I try and 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 not stick in one genre. I like to play like multiple different styles and feels and. Uh, I appreciate the compliment on the warmth of the sound because that's something that I, I strive, strive to have as well.
Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, no, it's it's true. In fact, uh, you know, we were playing together on June sixth uh, at the at the Shakespeare Theater grounds uh, for the benefit for Sterling House Community Foundation, and you know, Andy Cadison, our producer, was out in the audience, and he just said to me afterwards, the the the, the sax tone that evening going through the field was uh, was really impeccable. So awesome. that's great. Thank hey, you. Hey, tell us a little bit more about your upcoming Funky Dogs release. You know, and any any other projects you might have coming up that listeners should know about. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. So um, I play in this group called the Funky Dogs. We all met in college, and we've been touring for the past six, five or six years. Um, we have a pretty exciting um, release coming up. We've been, really been working hard on this, on this next album, writing and recording it throughout the pandemic. Um, and... We're finally almost done, and we're ready to release it this this fall. We don't have a set date yet. We're gonna we're gonna go with fall, winter, maybe, hopefully fall. <laughs> but um, I'm really excited about how how the songs are sounding and how like how we wrote, how we wrote them. I think it's our best music yet. Uh, we also had the opportunity recently to go into the warehouse at Fairfield Theater Company a couple times and record some some live sets. Um, on video and audio, so those will be um, premiering on Spotify and and um, YouTube as well. We got the warehouse sessions to to go along with the um, with the album, which is called Vertical, um, and that will be coming out in the fall as well. Yeah, you know, for those of you who are not aware, but the Funky Dogs, it's a brass band, but they really lean into in some being innovative. So it's really worth checking out. They they often were, will quote common melodies and things that that you know in 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 the current zeitgeist. Um, so let's uh, before we uh, pick up our instruments and play a little something. Please tell us where our listeners can find you on social media or or website or you know Instagram, what have you. Um, you can find my personal um, information and and any videos or. Um photos or information about upcoming shows that I'm playing on my Instagram, which is at Tweaks Music, um, T-W-E-E-K-S Music. And then you can you can go and follow the Funky Dogs Brass Band also, which is Funky Dogs Brass Band, uh, D-A-W-G-Z. Try and make it a little hip there with that spelling. Um, and that that's on Instagram too. We have a Facebook page, website, YouTube, all that, all that good stuff. It's, it's on there. You could Google it. A bunch of stuff will come up. Cool. 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 Well, why don't you grab that, that beautiful 1970 sax that you have. And, you know, Tommy and I were chatting and we thought, you know, this is WPKN 89.5 FM. And we were going to perform something by Sonny Rollins, something a little more traditional. So, uh, yeah, check this out. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. That's Tommy Weeks. Tommy Weeks from the Funky Dogs Brass Band. Wow. We're back. Welcome back to Band Central Radio here on WPKN. Boy, that was amazing uh, talking to Tommy Weeks and hearing him play that that sax. Please uh, go check him out and the Funky Dogs. But now, on the radio, dialing in is my friend Mark Jaffe. Mark, are you there? I am here. Speaking of funky dogs. <laughs> uh, well, Mark is the CEO of the Children's Learning Center, one of Stanford's largest nonprofits that serves about 1,500 uh, providing early childhood education to children's ages six weeks to five years. His background is in publishing and media technology, and he's had a broad range of jobs with with names like Simon & Schuster leading its uh, video and software publishing operations. But very famously, Mark held a prominent leadership position at Rodal, where he oversaw the launch of one of that company's biggest hits, the South Beach Diet franchise. And he also has a big birthday coming up this week. So happy birthday, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Hey, Mark, Thank before before much. we talk about everything mental health and Children's Learning Center, just tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you arrived and evolved to where you are today. Uh, well, you know, I come out of the private sector, as you mentioned, and in fact, educated originally as a lawyer. And um, but uh, I liked uh, I liked doing the deals rather than papering the deals. So I migrated over to the business side and and I found myself running publishing companies and media companies. And, and while I was doing that, Rob, I also helped found about 30 years ago, a wonderful nonprofit in East Harlem called Harlem RBI. And that came out of my passion for baseball. And uh, and an interest in working with youth. And so we built two baseball fields in East Harlem. And actually, RBI stands for Reviving Baseball in the Inner Cities. But it was a youth development program. Um, and it evolved. Uh, and and, and now- by the by the way, I'm not going to hold it against you that you're a Yankees fan and not a Mets fan. But but that's <laughs> a conversation for another day. Go Yankees. Well, well, in some ways, I'm by Timo. And I know that's offensive to some, but I, I actually appreciate, because of Harlem RBI, I appreciate both the Yankees and the Mets because uh, they're, they're good corporate citizens, and that was important. And we had great, great support. Um, said, said, like, said like a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but Harlem RBI is now branded Dream, and we ended up, um, the, our original Dream was not only to have kids playing baseball, but actually to, to start a charter school. Uh, and, and we did that um, oh, about uh, 10 years ago. And so now there's a dream charter school. And so hmm. more recently, as I exited my last company, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to give back. I wanted to um, make a difference and have an impact. And I don't think that there's anything that's more impactful in, in the education sphere than early childhood education. And I think it is under-acknowledged, under-appreciated, and terribly under-supported. 
And, yeah, that, um, yeah. I was so, going to say there, there. You've over the years you've shared with me some of the data around that, and there's that important uh, work by uh, the professor Heckman in Chicago showing that if you take all the different categories of education. Um, his research shows that the area that has the highest return over time on the investment to the society, the social return, is early childhood, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's right. We should only get that kind of return, which is about 13% per annum on our, on our portfolio, <laughs> that, that um, one gets um, based on long-term longitudinal studies from from a quality early childhood education. Hey, Mark, um, with the, with the th- yeah. thank you. With the theme of our show being kind of mental health, yeah. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this revolutionary work that you've been doing with Dr. Welsh over at Com- Columbia University around the mental and emotional well-being of of preschool children? Sure, my pleasure. So. Look, and, and the background to that, obviously, we're, we're all very concerned about a mental health crisis in America, and, and it certainly has been exacerbated uh, by COVID. And, um, and, and, uh, and that applies to our families, many of whom are working class, are, are lower income. Um, they've been hit really hard. Uh, many have lost their jobs, so there's dislocation. And um, and so with 90 percent of the brain being developed by the time one is five years old and critically, and we take a holistic approach to a child, their social and emotional development is being impacted. So we started several years ago to work with uh, Dr. Welch at at uh, Columbia. It's called the Nurture Science Program and the Family Nurture intervention. And unlike other work that we had done, for instance, with Yale and their Center for Emotional Intelligence, that was cognitive, sort of brain-based. And the work we're doing with Dr. Welch is, is focused on the autonomic nervous system and the stomach, which, as you know, many people call the second brain. And and um, and it's about emotional connection. So so I, I, for, for those of you, you know, listening to the radio program now driving on 95, I want you to think about this for a minute. This the second brain that's actually hitting the blinkers right now is in your stomach, not your head. So uh, I thought I'd give that visual out to people. Go ahead, Mark. Can Mark well, Jaffe continues? Yeah, no, and, and 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 in a very real way, you know, if if you've got an upset stomach, you can't think straight. So yeah, uh, um, uh, it, you know that that hits us all. Um, and, and so um, this this work that we've been doing is around emotional connection. So it's not just with the child in isolation. Mm. It's actually about the relationship and the connection between a mother and child. So what we have found is that many children uh, who demonstrate dysregulated or out-of-control behavior, it's because they're just, they're not connected to the, their mother in, in, in the way they could be. And so, and so we, we go through these calming sessions, working in dyads, working as duos, as mother and child closely uh, uh, with each other, um, and uh, and what we have found in this work 
is that the children's behavior improves and quickly, um, and the mother's becomes less depressed. And so in that regard, it's a win-win. And of course, in our classroom, what that means is that child is behaving better, but all of the sort of the ripple effects from a child who's out of control, that also dissipates, Hmm. right? So it's much easier for our teachers. And and of course, it allows a child to be able to co-regulate as well then with our teachers um, which wouldn't be possible if they can't co-regulate with their, their parents. Right. So if I hear you correctly, you, you first summarized some of the work that you and Dr. Welch have been doing in terms of this family nurturing intervention. Then you went on to tell us a bit beyond the research about how you're working with both the preschoolers and their mothers at the Children's Learning Centers in Stanford, Correct. Right, right. And, and you know, it, what's also interesting about this work, uh, Rob, is that, of course, it started several years ago, and it started in person. And so then, of course, COVID came along, very disruptive. But um, we were actually able to continue that work in a virtual environment. Um, and, and we were very pleased about that, because what it means is it really provides for the opportunity to scale it and to be able to make it available to more and more uh, children and more and more uh, families. Yeah, so wow. So awesome. Win. So awesome. And, uh, you know, we'll be there on your side helping you uh, get that message out on that research and also about the great work that uh, Children's Learning Centers is doing. Tell us, a, give us a little bit on Children's Learning Centers so we know a little bit more about where you are and, and how we can get in touch with you if we wanted to help. Sure. So, so we're the, actually the second largest center-based program in the state of Connecticut. So on any given day, we have, you know, 950 children uh, in eight centers in Stamford, Connecticut. But our impact, of course, is significantly beyond that. And so, for instance, we run the state-funded child development and school readiness programs. We also run the federal Head Start program. And that's in support of not only Stanford, but Greenwich and Darien. Um, and, and, and critically, our parents, of course, are the workforce economy. And, and by the way, you know, right, one of the misnomers around nonprofits is that we're a cost center. On the, quite the contrary, we're an economic engine. And so our, our parents, you know, are, are, uh, are the largest employers of our parents at Stanford Hospital, for instance. Mm. So we're really critical to, to getting the economy back running and humming. And in fact, we have been open, fully open since last June, so 13, 13 months ago. And, um, uh, and, you know, we feel good about that. Uh, wow, that's great. Really good about that. How, how can people, what's the best uh, website or way to people to, people yeah. to learn about you? Yeah, so you can go to CLCFC, that's CLCF as in Frank, C, dot org. That's our website. Um, and, you know, you can contact me at, uh, at Mark Jaffe, that's with a C and one E, Mark Jaffe at at clcstanford.org. And we are, uh, Band Central's excited. We're going to be performing on October 7th in a uh, uh, an event uh, to support yep. uh, 
uh, CLC. Anything you could say about that? Or, or well, do people have to wait for our fall tour announcement? <laughs> well, yeah, October 7th, it's going to be at our CLC William Pitt facility, which is our largest. It actually has uh, has about 350 children in it, uh, a typical day. Um, and um, uh, and we're looking forward to it being a really uh, a warm and engaging uh, opportunity for us to sort of show off a little bit. Well, Mark, thank you. We've been listening to Mark Jaffe, the CEO of the Children's Learning Center. This is Rob Freed, and you're listening to uh, Band Central Radio on WPKN. Mark, I want to bid you goodbye by playing a Graham Nash tune of hope called We Can Change the World. Take care, Mark. Thanks, Rob. And right now... We're really excited and pleased to have uh, Carla Miklos joining us. Carla, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Hello. Um, Terrific. And um, Carla, for those of you who don't know, she's played a very important role here in Connecticut in ending in the effort to end chronic homelessness. Um, She's really worked tirelessly to change the way homeless individuals and their families are served in in the Fairfield area and across the region. She she joined Operation Hope in 2007 after working for the Connecticut Housing Finance Authority as a manager of their residential lending division. And she's a a long-term advocate of affordable housing, homeless prevention, and economic opportunity. Um, I thought it would be really interesting to have Carl on here, you know, as we, in, in light of our theme on mental health and everything she's experienced. But Carla, before we get into that, why don't you please tell us a little bit more about yourself as a leader and how you became a homeless advocate and, you know, just as a person as well. Oh, sure. And thank you for having me. Um, I do think that the intersection of housing and mental health is really an important one to make. Um, but so a little bit about me. Um, I had about a 15 year career in um, banking and housing finance and um, had this amazing opportunity the last uh, maybe seven years of my um, banking career. I worked in default management. So I learned all about eviction and foreclosure and I sold a lot of defaulted portfolios to investment bankers. And while that was interesting and fun, I kept thinking about how could I take these things that I've learned and help my community? And so I had an opportunity to go work for Family Services Woodfield, which is now LifeBridge in Bridgeport, Mm -hmm. and help out with a little fledgling uh, homeless prevention loan program. They didn't know how to run a loan program. That was something I certainly knew how to do. And from there, I grew a community development financial institution based on economic empowerment for people. Um, in the form of savings, access to credit, uh, financial literacy education, and the like. So that was really a lot of fun for me. I enjoyed it. But I kept thinking, you know, if more people could figure out how to apply the things they've learned in other disciplines to these problems, we could start to solve some of them. And I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. So something got triggered in you where you were, you know, sort of approaching things as a banker, uh, you know, almost like a financial engineer, and something triggered your heart to say, wait a minute, maybe there's another way I can help people rather than just creating documents, you know, and and, and that type of thing, you know? 
Right. And, um, and I also, um, I have a somewhat of an interesting background. I was raised by parents who were a little counterculture, social justice warrior type people. And so I always had that in, in the back of my mind. And I think, like my father now passed, but I think he was probably like a little horrified when I started working in banking because he just thought it was just beyond the realm of his understanding. But So are um, you, are you so, saying social good was in your DNA? I think perhaps, you know, perhaps. we had talked a little about DNA and, you know, what imprints are in there. And I think that maybe there might be something to that. But I've just been fortunate to be provided an opportunity like this because I really feel like um, it's an incredible blessing to be able to give a voice to people who don't have one. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, please tell tell our listeners uh, a little bit more about Operation Hope, because you're sitting right here in the Fairfield area, Fairfield County area. Um, and and as part of your answer, and I could, maybe I could ask you this as the second question, um, all these years, what have you learned about, about mental health through your experience of working with the homeless and the hungry? Okay, so yes. Uh, so first off, um, Operation Hope has been serving the community for over 35 years. We started out as a homeless shelter, and not too long after that, we opened up both a community food pantry and a community kitchen. Currently, we our food pantry serves about 800 local households on a regular basis, of over 150,000 meals a year. And our community kitchen is open Mondays through Fridays for lunch and dinner for anyone in the community who is hungry. You just said um, you just said 150,000 meals a year. Yes. Wow. It's not small. And there are, you know, a funny thing, segue, uh, funny thing about Fairfield County is, you know, the, it's the uh, income disparity, right? The, the greatest income and the smallest incomes live in close proximity of each other. And so it creates a lot of need because the cost of living is skewed towards the high end. And, um, you know, in, in Fairfield County specifically, we have Stamford, Norwalk and Bridgeport and Danbury, if we remember, that's also in Fairfield County. Yeah, and right. Those struggling. And then we have suburbs of, you know, moderate to extreme wealth surrounding these suburbs, these cities. And it does create a lot of need. And definitely right here at home, we have plenty of people in need. So um, and hunger is one of those things. It's like one in eight people are hungry. It's pretty much the same everywhere. Uh, similar to mental health. One in four people struggle with mental health or substance use, and um, that's the same in everybody's community. So um, so anyway, uh, when we were uh, operating our shelter and um, providing food for the community, we started to realize if we kept turning people out, you know, at the end of a shelter stay, they were still homeless. So what could we do differently? And we started purchasing and renovating uh, multifamily homes, nice quiet, quietly, no signs, no fanfare, and moving people in and surrounding them with case management. Because we realize that the root causes of homelessness are not just bad luck or even poverty, but there's also usually a streak of more challenges, some trauma, some mental health or substance use, and having a trusted counselor could make all the difference. Today, we call that permanent supportive housing, and it's housing that comes with support. And currently today, we have 70 units of affordable supportive housing that we um, operate or own, and we house about another 300 people a year through a lot of rapid rehousing type of initiatives. So, yeah, it would um, seem like that counseling aspect is really important from the standpoint that, you know, many of the people that you would be serving have already experienced some trauma. And they're, yeah. you know, as, as all of us know, it, to some degree, we all have some kind of family of origin trauma, usually 
uh, you know, whether it's trying to even things more benign than, than hunger and homelessness and fear, but things like just trying to please other people all the time or, or seeking other people's approval. Um, in a way, those are traumas. So uh, what you're talking about, Carla, is uh, the thing you learned sounds to me like we didn't want to just give people food. We wanted to help break the cycle and, and have a counselor there that can help them really kind of uh, evolve themselves to where they could work their way out of this and then uh, potentially in turn uh, not pass it on to their children and, you know, is what we like to call in nonprofit language, break the cycle. Right, exactly. And I think the first, the first thing in breaking the cycle is helping somebody understand that they've been seen. I see you. I validate you. You are here as a human being right in front of me and there's, with no judgment, I'm going to serve you. And I think there's something very powerful about being able to look somebody in the eye and, and just let them know that they're, that I see you. So that's the first step. And then it's really just letting a person open up and share what they need to share and recognizing that we're all just struggling to get by in this world. You know, you, you made a very valid point. It's a challenge for all of us. And then you layer on the additional challenges and traumas of being homeless, perhaps with your family or unable to pay your bills. I always said when I was doing budget counseling years ago at FSW that um, the last taboo that nobody wants to cross is to let you know they can't manage their money, right? It's a, it's a big failure yeah. in America to be able to manage your money. So all the other things that happen, people may feel comfortable in, in getting help for, but that one's really a challenge. Um, but so with the people that we serve, the, men, the mental illness has become um, more of an issue than ever before. And I think it has a lot to do with the successes we've had in housing all the people that we could over the last maybe seven or eight years. You know, we changed our system to be very housing-first oriented, meaning mm. we weren't going to wait until somebody proved to us they were ready for housing. We would just house them and then wrap around those same services and supports that we would have required them to sort of acquire on their own before they were ready for housing. And that, that paradigm shift really helped us get a lot of people off the street, and really now we're just seeing new people entering the system, and it's much easier for us to figure out how to house them. And there are no more people on the street for 17, 18 years as there were before. And a part of it was just taking that leap of faith. But what happened now is the people who are out there, many of them are out there by choice. And so it sort of uh, uh, elevates the fact that the mental health um, issues are very prevalent and that maybe the system isn't quite able to handle them. So yes. I think the big challenge for our people that we serve is mental health help when somebody is ready for it, you know, because, you know, people who are struggling, especially with any kind of psychosis or, or other challenges, schizophrenia, or just, you know, are, are decompensating in some way, they may not think that help is necessary. And we live in a system where, you know, patient-centered care means they get to decide if they get help. Or yeah, not. wow. Interest, very yeah, interesting. We're, we're listening to Carla Miklos, um, the executive director of Operation Hope here on Band Central Radio on WPKN. Carla, as we wrap up here, uh, could you tell us a little bit about the August 12th Band Central event that we're doing together uh, at the Scandinavian uh, Club in Fairfield? I just can't wait. It's going to be great. So it's a Thursday night event, and Band Central is sponsoring and playing. We are so excited. Um, we're going to have uh, food trucks. We're going to have a pizza truck, uh, Italian ice, great music. It's just a sort of uh, thank you to the community for letting us be here. Reminder that we're here. Um, we're calling it our Summer of Hope event. We have a few other events happening, but that one's our big signature event. 
and it's casual. Come as you are. Come have some fun with us and support a really good cause. We're looking forward to it. Yes, please come and you can meet me and Carla at that event. Carla, we want to thank you for joining us here on a a Monday and uh, sharing us uh, your passion. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much, Rob. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Well, guess what, guys? We've got about a minute to go here on Band Central Radio. Tommy, man, it's been great to hang out with you for the hour. This is awesome. Thanks for having me, Rob. And, uh, man, everybody, check out Tommy Weeks and the Funky Dogs. They're really doing some great stuff. Tommy is uh, uh, an important musician here in Connecticut. And, uh, Steve, thank you very much for uh, doing your thing. Um, Good show again, and uh, wonderful guest. Outreach, which is... uh, part of our mission so thank you for being part of that that mission rob absolutely we want to thank the uh, band central team of audrey neforis paula murphy and uh, andy cattison and we also want to let you know that the august show will be hosted by none other than andy cattison our producer but also a healthcare entrepreneur and he will be continuing the discussion about health until then take care bye-bye